comes in the book of Jeremiah. And this is, and this is unusual because biblical scholars uh, rarely are completely in agreement with one another, or even mostly in agreement with one another about some things. This one, they're mostly all in agreement about. And that is, is that the book of Jeremiah is not in chronological order. Um, the prophecies that are in it are uh, out of order uh, in the book. It was passed down that way over the years, so it was kept that way. Um, but it's um, largely believed, and there's tons of evidence for it, that uh, the reality is, is that um, uh, the book is out of order. Now, I bring that up because uh, today we're going to read from Jeremiah 36, and then from chapter 31. <laughs> so why would we go from 36 to 31? Uh, because it's, again, largely believed that in this case, that uh, the prophecy of chapter 31 came after the, the events that took place in chapter 36. All right, so that's why we're reading it this way today because uh, the, the, the lectionary that we use is called the narrative lectionary, and so narrative, the idea is, is that we're telling a story. So um, in this case, in order to tell the story, we have to uh, put these two things out of the order that they are in the Bible, but into the order that they were most likely historically. Right? Make sense? All right, that was just a premise. Obviously not the sermon. <laughs> So now to our story. So this is Jeremiah 36, starting at verse 1. In the fourth year of King Jehoiakim, son of Josiah of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah about the Lord. So now I'll start to put this in context. We'll stop right there. So where we're at is, is that we're around 604 B.C. is where we are. Now, King Josiah was one of the great good kings of Judah. And Judah, remember, is the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is Israel. The southern kingdom is Judah. And Josiah, and remember, there were not a lot of great kings. So Josiah was a rare bird in that he was a good king. Uh, but by this time, he has died at the hands of the Egyptians. And the Egyptians um, uh, have, since, have since then, uh, they've done a couple of things. Uh, when Josiah first died, Josiah's, uh, one of Josiah's sons was, uh, became king, but the Egyptians took him out of power and put Jehoiakim into power, who's also a son of of uh, Josiah, but he was a son that the Egyptians felt they could better control. So they put Je uh, Jehoiakim in as king. Now, since and then, uh, since then, the Egyptians are overthrown by the Babylonians. But the Babylonians look at Jehoiakim, and they also see that he is someone that they can control. <laughs> so they leave. Jehoiakim in as king. Um, now Jehoiakim clearly is nothing like his dad. He is 
an arrogant, self-absorbed, um, undisciplined ruler who cares little for his people or for God. In fact, in uh, rabbinical writings, he's portrayed as living in incestuous relationships with his mother, his daughter-in-law, his stepmother, and was in the habit of murdering men whose wives he then violated and whose property he seized. Great guy, Jehoiakim. Uh, and so it's into this situation that God sends his prophet Jeremiah. And God instructs Jeremiah to write down everything that God has told him about his judgments on both Israel and Judah. And that's a little unusual here, that uh, Jeremiah is actually delivering prophecy that, is, that speaks to both the north and southern kingdoms. And this is what it says next. God says to, to Jeremiah, Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I spoke to you, from the days of Josiah until, until today. It may be that when the house of Judah hears of all the disasters that I intend to do to them, all of them may turn from their evil ways so that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll at Jeremiah's dictation all the words of the Lord that he had spoken to him. And Jeremiah ordered Baruch, saying, I am prevented from entering the house of the Lord. Now, uh, Jeremiah by this time, uh, in, our, in our story, is already one of the most hated prophets of God by his contemporaries. And people do not like Jeremiah. And the reason is, is that he has delivered some really unpopular messages to the people of Judah. Uh, and he always kind of delivers them uh, in style, with a bit of flair. You know, at, at one point he, he wandered around the kingdom saying that he was searching for one righteous person and couldn't find one in the entire kingdom. Uh, another time, he walked around wearing this stinking, rotting sash. And he tells Judah that this is what the kingdom smells like to God. You know? Uh, another time, he, he, he called everyone together, and then he took a jar, a clay jar, in front of the people, and he smashes the clay jar, and then he tells them that God is going to smash them because of their sins. You know? So it wasn't these really popular messages. And so reading from Jeremiah on Judgment Sunday actually kind of works, right? So um, uh, it wasn't these popular messages uh, that, he, uh, that he presented. That's just a few of them. There are more that Jeremiah did. So, and so throughout his ministry, Jeremiah is beaten, he's jailed, he's thrown into a well, <laughs> right? So uh, he is not a popular guy, Jeremiah. And here we see that at this point, Jeremiah is actually banned from going to the temple. He's not allowed to go. Can't go. All right? At threat of, at threat of, of being jailed, at threat of life, uh, he can't show up at the temple. And so he sends Baruch, 
to deliver God's message on his behalf to the people. And uh, this is where we see that. So you go yourself, Jeremiah says to Baruch, and on a fast day, in the hearing of the people in the Lord's house, you shall read the words of the Lord from the scroll that you have written down at my dictation. You shall read them also in the hearing of all the people of Judah who come up from their towns. It may be that their plea will come before the Lord and that all of them will turn from their evil ways. For great is the anger and wrath that the Lord has pronounced against his people. And Baruch, son of Neriah, did all the prophet Jeremiah ordered him about reading from the scroll the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. Now we see something here in both of this, these sections now where, where God is talking about his prophecy and delivering it and now even in Jeremiah delivering this prophecy, we see something that we've seen before. We saw it in the reading of Jonah, for instance. God delivers a message of judgment. But his purpose in doing so, God's hope is that when the people hear it, they might repent so that God may relent, so that God may turn away from the, 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 the judgment that he has planned. You know, God said it himself when he was talking to Jeremiah. He says, you know, perhaps they will hear about the things that, uh, that I have planned to do to them because of their sin, and they will turn away from their sin. God says. And then Jeremiah, in telling Baruch about this uh, message, he says, It may be that their plea will come before the Lord, and all of them will turn from their evil ways. But this is not Judah under the faithful Josiah that we're talking about here. It is Judah under the horrible Jehoiakim. And the people reflect their leader in many ways. And listen to what the king does. Then the king sent Jehudi, not Jehudi, Jehudi, <laughs> to get the scroll. And he took it from the, oh, only a threshold could I do that. <laughs> should, I, should, I, should I do that at, at, on Christmas Eve? I don't yes. think I should probably do that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do we want to come back or not? <laughs> uh, that liberal Tom Schaefer who stayed in the ELCA, that's the... <laughs> Uh, and so he sent Jehudi to get the scroll, and he took it from the chamber of Elishema, the secretary, and Jehudi read it to the king and all the officials who stood beside the king. Now the king was sitting in his winter apartment. It was the ninth month, and there was a fire burning in the brazier before him. As Jehudi read three or four columns, the king would cut them off with a penknife and throw them into the fire in the brazier until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the brazier. 
Now, a couple of things here. One is just like because it jumped out at me, and so uh, you know, I, I I did a little research. I mean, the, the, they translate the word here as penknife, and I'm like, what kind of penknife did they have back in you know these days? What is you know? And because what do we think of as a penknife? We think of a pen. It's a little little knife that folds up. You keep it in your pocket, right? That's what we think of as a penknife. But this is no. This is an actual penknife. It is something that a scribe would have, and the purpose of the pen knife was to uh, take the quill, and when the tip on the quill dulled or broke, you would uh, shave off another part of the quill with the pen knife. So that's what the, it actually is a pen knife, uh, is, is what it is. Um, so that's a, that is an appropriate translation of the word there. It's just not what we think of when we think of the word penknife. But beyond that, think about what the king is doing here. He calls Jehudian with the scroll, sits by the fire, lets Jehudi, you know, read a portion of it, and then he takes the scroll from Jehudi and cuts a piece off and throws it into the fire, gives it back to Jehudi. Jehudi reads a little bit more, and then he cuts that piece off and throws that into the fire. I mean, how contemptuous is this? How absolutely arrogant is this of Jehoiakim to be doing what he has done? He, he has one of his guys retrieve the scroll, read it to him, and bit by bit he cuts it apart and burns it. It is a total and utter disregard of Jeremiah and thus the word of the Lord. Now, after the king had burned the scroll with the words that Baruch wrote at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, take another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll, which King Jehoiakim of Judah has burned. I mean, I think we all get the point here real quick. God's word is not discarded or ignored so easily. Hmm? The words are written down a second time, and unfortunately for Judah, this time they come to pass. Jeremiah eventually, in another one of his very showy demonstrations of, of uh, prophecy, wears a yoke and he walks around the kingdom and tells the people that the only way they're going to survive now is that they have to surrender unconditionally to the Babylonians and wear the yoke of slavery to these people. Not another very popular message. But then in 597 BC, Babylon conquers Judah, destroys Jerusalem, and Jehoiakim is taken prisoner and never heard of again. 
Once again, what happens is, is that God's people show their preference for sin over a relationship with God. And ultimately, this leaves God with one choice. But it's not the choice we might expect. God chooses to take the responsibility for the people's sin. Listen to what God says. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And this is written after they've been conquered, many killed, taken away into captivity into Babylon. And God speaks to them now and says, I will make a new covenant with you. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. A covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to one another, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. You know, this is the only place in the Old Testament where we see God refer to a new covenant. You may remember uh, that we pointed out in the covenant that God made with Abraham how God took all the onus of that covenant upon himself. And here, God does it again. God says, I will make a new covenant. Not we will make a covenant together, which is what would normally be the language, what would normally happen. But God says, I will make a new covenant. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. God knows that humanity's only chance is unconditional forgiveness. And that doesn't mean that the relationship doesn't matter anymore, that faith doesn't matter anymore. But it is the promise of God that will invoke faith, create faith. It is not faith that earns the promise. It's the promise that creates faith. God takes the full weight and responsibility of the sin of the people upon himself. And the next time that we hear the words new covenant are at the last supper that Jesus has with his disciples. 
when Jesus lifts the cup and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. What Jesus does in that moment is that he declares that the prophecy given by Jeremiah 600 years earlier is fulfilled in his life, death, and resurrection. On Jesus was placed the full weight of our sin, which he carried like a yoke to his crucifixion. And there he paid the price for our transgressions. And through him, God forgives our iniquity and remembers our sin no more. Consider how amazing those words are. Forgiving is one thing remember your sin no more. There's another place in the Psalms where, where it says that as far as the east is from the west, so far shall he remove our transgressions from us. As someone who's been around the church my whole life, I can't tell you how many times I've thought, what's it, you know, with some of the things I've done in my life, like, to go, you know, that, that moment when I have to stand before the Lord and face God with all that I've done in my life. And yet what scripture tells me is that, is, is that in that moment when I'm standing there and I say, God, I'm so sorry that my Lord and your Lord will say, for what? Well, you know that thing. What are you talking about? I don't remember. Because my son took care of all that for you. What an amazing thing that is. And so it is that God's grace, God's forgiveness, creates faith. It's not our faith that earns it. Amen.